But let's dive in today. We are in part three of our Believe Again series. And this series is all about um, living a life of faith where we see God's supernatural hand. Uh, if you read the scriptures, it is, it is clear that we have a God who is a miracle-working God. Old and New Testament, we see the hand of God. And what we see is this, is that as the people of God step out in faith, step out in obedience to his word, to his leadership, that we see God add his super to our natural, right? I've shared this before, but we see Daniel, right? Daniel in Daniel 6 prayed in faith, and God shut the mouths of lions. Two weeks ago, I, I preached about how Joshua in the Israelites marched around the walls of Jericho in faith, and God brought the walls down. Peter got out of the boat in faith, and he walked on water. I mean, there's story after story after story. And we as the people of God, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, are called to live by faith and not by sight. So we can see God move in our lives personally. First week, we talked about walking by faith, and last week, we spoke about giving by faith, and those are on our YouTube channel if you missed those. And today, I want to talk about persevering in faith, <laughs> and here's what I want to talk about today, is that the in-between, let's say you, you step out on on God's word, in obedience to what you read in God's word, or you step out on what you sense God leading you to do in your life. And then, really, a lot of times in our life, there's that in-between, right? While we're waiting on God to move. Okay, God, I'm being faithful. Okay, God, I was obedient with what you asked me to do. And then there's that waiting period. And what do we do in the waiting period? What do we do in the in-between time? And we're going to look today at the book of Nehemiah. And I love the Nehemiah as a person to study for several reasons. Uh, number one, he felt called back to his capital city of Jerusalem, as we feel called here to the D.C. area. Uh, but we see Nehemiah also was working in the government, as many of you do. Uh, and Nehemiah felt called by God through prayer to go back and rebuild the physical walls around Jerusalem so that the people of God would have a city to call home, and they would rebuild the temple to reestablish worship in Jerusalem. Uh, and we, even with this Believe initiative, are believing that, that God's leading us to have a more permanent home so we can have a place of worship for our church. And Nehemiah steps out in faith. So he hears from God, which my hope for all of you is, is you hear from God through his word, through prayer, and then as you step out in faith, what we see in Nehemiah's life is Nehemiah faces resistance from several people, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. If you've been wondering what to name your child do next year, those are great names. They're not very popular. No one else in their class will have it. Come on, somebody. Uh, but we see he faces resistance. And here's a reality. If you step out in faith to God's word, maybe for some of you, you're the first person or the only person in your family to follow Christ. So maybe for you, your resistance comes from, the, from your own family. Like you've been faithful to God, you're worshiping, you're, 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 you're reading God's word, you're trying to do what it says. And there are maybe family or friends around you who are wondering, what are you doing? Or maybe for you, you stepped out in faith and you changed careers. But things aren't going like you envisioned they would. <laughs> or maybe you launched a business. And you thought by now the business would be viable, but you're still in the red. 
And sometimes in those moments, it can feel like, God, did I really hear from you? And sometimes that resistance can come internally. Have you ever been there before where you stepped out in obedience to what you feel like God was leading you to do? But then you didn't see the blessing immediately and you wondered, did I really hear from you, God? Or did I just have cold pizza last night? Come on. And, and, and resistance is inevitable. Waiting is a part of the process. So what do we do to persevere in faith, to overcome the resistance so that we can see God move in our lives? Well, let's first, let's pray. Then we're going to dive in. Father, we thank you for your word. It's truly a lamp unto our feet. And God, as we open up the scriptures today, God, that you would you speak to us, God. We just humble ourselves, open our hearts, our minds, our spirits to receive the word you have for us today. And we give you all of the honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said, I'm going to give you three points today uh, on how we can persevere in faith, on what to do in the waiting, what to do when, when what we're believing for we're not seeing. Here's number one, is that when we're facing resistance, we're facing doubt, we're, we're facing family who are questioning our decisions, we, we've stepped out in faith, but we're not seeing the results we thought we would, that first, that prayer needs to be our first response. Prayer needs to be our first response. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3. Uh, let me read this for us. Nehemiah, it says, um, The wall of Jerusalem, he hears, is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. He says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So Nehemiah hears that the walls of his city was burned down. 142 years earlier, King Nebuchadnezzar burned the walls around Jerusalem. And it forced the Jews in exile in Babylon. They were scattered and the people of God didn't have a place to worship. So he hears of the walls. And Nehemiah, to give you context, he was cupbearer to the king. Now that might not seem like that big of a deal, but it's essentially what he was. It was like being in the executive cabinet for the president. So he had position. He had power. He was more than likely paid very well. Also to be in that position tells you that he was a man who also, he was smart. Uh, he was wise. And Nehemiah hears of this problem. And here's what I love. Nehemiah didn't, didn't go ahead and make a strategic plan to go rebuild the walls. He, he didn't go and begin to exercise the resource he had or the network he had built in order to rebuild the walls. What's the first thing he does? He prays and he fasts. Because here's what he knew. That years prior, Jews had tried to rebuild the walls to no avail. And he said, listen, if this is going to happen, it's not going to be the move of determined men and women. It's going to be a move of God. And can I tell you, if you want to see God move in your life, if you want to see the miraculous power of God, you want to see him do exceedingly and abundantly and above more than you can ever ask, think, or imagine, it will not just strategic plan. Or because you've built a great network. Or because you've leveraged the resources you have. Or you were in a great position. No, you're going to need the supernatural hand of God. He prays. He seeks God. In fact, he was there for the scriptures for four months. Four months before he acted. Four months before he approached the king. This past week in my household, uh, 
all three kids of uh, all three of our children were home and my youngest Abigail was over in uh, this portion of our house near our stairs where there's uh, stairs and the wall and and I saw she was trying to climb over this stool and as she's climbing over this stool the next thing I hear is kind of a plop and then I hear her crying she fell off the stool and I go over to her and I ask her I said Abigail what made you attempt to climb over the stool? And she looked at me as if I had eight eyes. Come on, somebody. Here's what I realized. She didn't know why she did that. Come on, parents. You ever been there? Like a child act and then they thought, right? Come on, some adults still act before they think. Come on, somebody. If that's she will pray for you after service. You're like, yeah, this week I made a bad decision. But I'm honest with you. Before I can stand back and be judgmental in that moment, if I'm honest, sometimes I act before I pray. Like I'm in anybody else with me. Where, where am I action-oriented get-it-done people? Come on, where are you at? You're my people. Come on. You're like, if there's a problem, I'm going to solve it. There's a hurdle, I'm going to jump it. There's a, what do you got to build? I'm going to build it. Come on, somebody. But listen, if you're like me, here's our downfall is that we'll make the strategic plan. And then instead of asking God for the plan, we'll ask him to bless our great idea. Or before asking God for leadership, we'll go and we'll send the emails, we'll leverage our resource, and then say, God, I need your help. Come on. And we treat God like he's our sidekick. Come on, Jesus. Come on. It's a great plan. Get on board. Just me? Okay. Hey, listen, can I challenge us to be like Nehemiah? Hey, listen, that before we, 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 before we leverage the network you have, which I know is a great network, before you, you exercise the resource you have, before you leverage your position at work, petition the God of heaven and say, God, I need you to move. And God, could I move without you in this moment? I could, but I don't want to do it. God, I need your hand. God, I need your blessing. I need your leadership. James 5.16, James reminds us that the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. James says your power, your prayers are powerful. I remember in November of 2018, about a week before Thanksgiving, five years ago, it was about two months before we started this church. There's a couple things you have to do when you start a church. You have to find a location. You have to, you have to build a team of people who are saying, I want to be a part of this church. And one of the crucial roles are worship leaders, the individuals who are leading us today in worship. And we didn't have a worship leader. And it was a Wednesday. I remember the second like was yesterday. It was overcast. And I felt the Lord led me to a time of prayer and fasting for a worship leader. Because I don't know if you ever, if you, if you sit in this section of the room, you know this. Your boy can't sing. Come on, somebody. I'd be like, play the track. Come on, everybody. <laughs> so it was about 2 o'clock. I, I went to the post office. I was walking out of the post office. All of a sudden, I got a, I got a call. Um, someone who I knew, but I hadn't spoke to in five months. He calls me out of the blue because he, he was leading worship at another church. And he says, 
he says, hey, Jeremy, I want you to know um, my wife and I have been praying about whether or not we should come to Catalyst Church. And we feel like we've heard from God and we're going to come be a part of the church. And can I tell you, listen, you know what it reminded me of? This is a word for you. That even when you do not see God working, he's still working. Hey, I know you're praying for a spouse, you're praying for a husband, and you have not met him yet. Just because you do not see God working and you have not met him yet does not mean that God is not speaking to him right now. You're praying for a promotion at work, and just because you have not received a promotion, it does not mean God's not speaking to the C-level executives right now about your promotion for next year. Do not think that just because you don't see him working, he's not working. May I remind you from James, your prayers are powerful and effective. And the devil in hell would love for you to believe that my prayers don't make that big of a difference. I love what Louis Giglio says. If we could actually see what is happening when we pray, we would never stop praying. Mark Batterson, one of our overseers, I love what he says. He says, prayer is the difference between the best we can do and the best that God can do. Every time in Nehemiah, when Nehemiah faced resistance, if you read the book, he didn't all of a sudden say, man, we got to solve this problem. What did he do? He went to God in prayer every time. He, he, he sought God for prayer. And I love this in Romans 12, 12. This is what Paul wrote to the Roman church. This church is being persecuted for their faith. They're being murdered for their faith. And he says, be patient in trouble. You know what this tells us? That you're going to face trouble. Come on, aren't you encourage somebody? He doesn't say, don't worry, I'll, God will take all your trouble away. No, he says, be patient in trouble. And then he says, keep on praying. This encourages me. You know why? Because that tells me the church at Rome was losing some of their zeal for prayer. Because Paul had to remind them to keep on praying. Anybody here today is honest enough in church that you would say there are times that you have grown tired of prayer. You've grown tired of praying. Anybody else, you have something on your prayer list right now. That there are some days you're like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to pray for that anymore. I haven't seen God move. I've been praying for that healing, but it's been six years. I've been praying for a baby, God, and it's been seven years and four fertility treatments. God, I've been praying for this business to take off, but man, we're 24 months in. We're still in the red. Anybody else? You ever get tired of prayer? Here's my encouragement to you is to keep on praying. Here's what Jesus said. He says, I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you asked for. And here's what happens when you keep on praying. I love Nehemiah in Nehemiah 2.20. He, he is speaking to the people, to the Jewish exiles who are coming with him, which we'll get to. How we, we can't do this alone. And here's what he says, right? Some of them are doubting, like, is this really going to happen? And Nehemiah doesn't say, don't worry, I have a great plan. He doesn't say, don't worry, I know people in high places. Come on, somebody. What does he say? The God of heaven will give us success. 
It reminds me of David when he faced Goliath and he said, man, the same God who helped me slain the bear and the same God who helped me slain the lion is the same God who will help me slain this uncircumcised Philistine. See, something happens. A holy confidence gets formed in you when you develop a private prayer life. And when you see the faithfulness of God that you're like, you know what? I've seen God's faithfulness in the past and the God of heaven will give us success. Prayer needs to be our, our first response. Here's, here's point number two. Is we didn't have to remember what God said. We have to remember what God said. Sam Ballad and Geshem, chapter 6, verse 2, sent Nehemiah a message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Come on, somebody. You could preach that right there. You ever been to a place called Ono? Come on. Pastor, I made some bad decisions. I'm living in Ono right now. Come on. You could just preach that right there. That's, that's a good one. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. So, so Sam Ballad and Geshem are trying to pull Nehemiah away from God's purpose. And sometimes there can be well-intentioned people in your life that through them, the enemy will try to, to derail you from your purpose. That you will step out in faith and maybe you're that first one coming to church in your family or amongst your friend group. And they're wondering, why, why are you being all religious now? What has God done for you? And what are they trying to do? They're trying to derail you from your purpose. Oh, man, you, you started that business, but you're losing money, not making money. Trying to derail you from your purpose. When we stepped out of, to start this church, I remember two different people who love me, and they still love me. I love them. But, but I'm glad I didn't listen to them. <laughs> because one person, when we were going to plant this church, I told him, I said, hey, we're, we're planting in Bethesda. He knows this area very well. His response to me is, you're starting a church in Bethesda? He said, who starts a church in Bethesda? The assumption being that it's going to be hard to start a church in Bethesda. Can I tell you for a moment, you know what I thought to myself? I thought maybe we should move the church to Germantown because they have bigger parking lots in Germantown. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I'm being honest. It's safer in Germantown. Right? Had another friend of mine who, who, who he said, man, maybe you should like stay, be on staff at another church and just kind of start a location for that church. And I'm like, oh, I'd have benefits, which I don't, I don't have <laughs> starting a church. I don't know if you realize this, health insurance companies will not work with a brand new church. <laughs> so we didn't have benefits. Didn't have a promised salary. But can I tell you this? I thank God that I did not allow that to pull me away from God's purpose. Because God wanted to do something in Bethesda. Hey, I want you, this is for somebody today. Listen, you have, been, you have been questioning whether what God's calling you to do is actually from God. And this is a word for you. Don't allow those concerns to pull you away from God's purpose for your life. A God-inspired vision will enable you to persevere through problems. 
You have to remember, you have to remember what God has said to you, what God's revealed to you. I had to go back to into my journal where God spoke to us about starting a church in Bethesda. And I had to put my faith in what God said, not in what I felt. You got to go back. That's why God told Habakkuk, Habakkuk 2:2, write the vision, make it plain. He may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. He goes on to say, though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come. Watch this. He says, Habakkuk, write down what I'm speaking to you. You know, one of the greatest gifts you can give yourself is to keep a journal of what God reveals to you. The best gifts you can give your faith. What's priceless to me are my journals of where I've written down what God said to me because I can go back and I have a historical account of God's faithfulness in my life because there are things he's spoken to me seven years ago that I've now seen come to pass in my life. So now when God speaks to me, I have faith not just because of the scriptures but because of my history with him. So he says, write it down. Watch this. He says, though it tarry. Let me give you a 2023 translation. It's not going to come in the timetable you're expecting. Come on, somebody. Meaning this, write the vision. Write the promise I'm showing you. Because you think this time next year it'll be here, but it might be seven years. It might be six years. Though it tarry, though it's taking longer than you expected, wait for it. So write the vision so you can return to it. I remember back when we were about to start the church, there were two occurrences I, I, I remembered this week. One was right, we were about to start the church about a month away, and we still had a gap in our fundraising. So you build team when you're starting a church, but then you also raise a lot of money because things cost money like lights and cameras and all the stuff that we have here. So we were short a, a chunk of money. And I remember in that moment, like, I don't know if you've been there before where you like step out in faith on something, but then all of a sudden like it's, it's, it's harder than you were expecting. And I began to question like, God, is this really you? Are you really in this? And all of those kind of things. I know none of you ever question your faith because you're really strong Christians, but I have, I have a hard time sometimes. So I went back in my journals because I keep journals. And I have, I have Evernote. I have, I have notes in my phone. Of I record what God speaks to me. And let me just share with you, in that moment, I did it again in 2020. When we had the pandemic and everything went online. Um, because before the pandemic, like, we didn't have a YouTube channel. So I was like, what are we going to do? We can't gather like God. What are we going to do? So I went back to the vision I wrote down. Let me share with you just a few statements. This is from 2018. I read it this week, actually, in preparation for this message. I wrote this in 2018. So we had never had a worship service. No one was on our launch team. This was Jeremy in his basement hearing from God, writing this down. I wrote down, I see a diverse church worshiping together, diverse by age, race, culture, and class. Do we see that today, church? I see a community where people are treated like family. They care for each other, are there for one another through the ups and downs, the highs and lows. If you're a part of a community group, you may have experienced this. I see a church that's impacting this city. We're caring for those who are disadvantaged and overlooked. 
If you've been a part of the serve day, we do that in significant ways. Hey, can I tell you, I can now look back at journals of things God spoke to me at what I saw in this church when there was nothing that now I'm seeing before my very eyes today. Write the vision. Make it plain. So while you're waiting, your faith is strengthened. Though you wait for it, it will come to pass. Now listen, there are still a lot of things I've written down that I have not yet seen. But do I have faith it will come to pass? You bet I do. Because I have a historical account of God's faithfulness. You have to remember, write the vision. So when your season of singleness, go back to God's word about your spouse. And after your fourth fertility treatment, go back to God's promise about a baby. After another month of your business in the red, go back to God's word. Philippians 3, I love this because the Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul knows about resistance. The Apostle Paul, I, I like, he was hard. I mean, he, he, was, he was a little gangster. Come on, somebody. That's why I like Paul. Paul was hard. Like, Paul's like, I was shipwrecked. I was beaten. I was left for dead, even by some of y'all jokers. He's like, that was, the Paul's writing this to people who, like, doubted him. He's like, yeah, some of y'all, yeah, James, you didn't believe in me. Yeah, Peter, you had beef with me. Yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> but he's like... Yeah, externally I'm wasting away in part because of you fools, but internally I'm being renewed daily because of Christ. You got to love Paul. I mean, he's hard, hard, right? So he's beaten, left for dead, imprisoned, shipwrecked, had conflict with, he was kicked out of cities. Like he was, he, churches didn't want him involved with them because Paul had a, had a shady past. He killed Christians in his former life. But I love what Paul says in Philippians 3. He says, I focus on this one thing. I forget what's in the past. I'm not, hey, this is where, I'm not dwelling on the pain of my past. I'm focused on my purpose in Christ. I'm not dwelling on the mistakes I've made. I'm focused on my purpose in Christ. I'm looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. So Paul says, I go through all this hardship. How, how do I go through shipwreck? How do I go through imprisonment for my faith? How do I go through being beaten and left but for dead by my own people? How do I go through all that? I say focus on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, as Hebrews says. So he, here's the application for us. If you're going to persevere in faith, if you're going to see God's faithfulness while you're waiting, while you're facing their resistance, here's what you got to do. You got to remain close to the one who called you. You got to stay close to God. You got to stay faithful in prayer. You got to stay in God's word. You got you to you stay faithful to church and worship. You got to keep serving God. You got to keep not just reading the word, but obeying the word so you can have God strengthen you in the process. You got to remember what God has told you. You got to remember what He's revealed to you. Here's the last and final point. You then have to surround yourself with God's people. Nehemiah 4:13 it says Nehemiah says he stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places. Nehemiah did not go and rebuild this wall all by himself. 
Here's how you know if you ever have a dream and you're wondering, is this God or not? It's going to involve God and other people. Uh, because what you do not see in the scriptures is lone rangers. You don't. It always involves other people. Because God is a relational God. He's a communal God. And Nehemiah didn't go and rebuild this walls all by himself. But he had Jewish exiles coming with him. And here's the, here's the reality. If you're going to see God's supernatural hand in your life, if you're going to see God's faithfulness in your life, you're going to need to have other people come along with you. You need to have some, some key relationships around you. Can I give you three biblical relationships that pastorally I want to encourage you all to have? Three different types of relationships that serve different functions. Here's the first relationship is you need to have a godly counsel. Proverbs eleven fourteen, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. You need to have some, some godly counsel. Now, this can be a person that either knows you really well, or maybe they kind of know you from afar. Sometimes godly counsel can come in the form of a book or a teaching. Remember years ago, there was a pastor who I knew, and he didn't know me super well, but he knew of me. He knew Christina, and I, I kind of heard him teach once. And after he got done teaching, I kind of kind of asked him a question. He and his wife had a great marriage, and, and Christina and I were just newly married. And Christina and I had this issue when it came to our, our conflict. We had different styles of conflict. Any couples relate to this? Uh, so, so she, when conflict arises, she wants to solve it in the moment. Anybody else like her? And then, and then for me, I'm an internal processor. Where are my internal processors at? Come on. Yes. Some of you didn't raise your hand because you're still processing whether or not you should raise your hand. I, get, I feel you. Right? So I need to process my decision before I have communication about it. So what I would tell her when she would want to solve a problem, I would say, hey, let's come back to it later. But here was the problem. Later would never happen. Have you ever had this before where you go and ask someone for like, if you're in a relationship with somebody or even if it's a friend or a coworker, and you go and ask someone for counsel and you really hope and pray what they tell you is that your spouse or the other person's a problem? Come on, somebody. <laughs> and like, just tell me I'm amazing and that they're the problem and let's just go move forward. So I, I tell him what's happening. And he says, he says to me, he says, um, he lovingly says, Jeremy, you're being selfish. I said, well, the devil's a liar, so you need to stop right there. <laughs> now, he was right. He said, you're expecting Christina to meet you on your terms, but you are unwilling to meet her on her terms. This was a game changer for us. This might help someone's marriage today. He says, instead of saying, I'll come to it later, have a defined time. So can we come back to it in two hours? Can we revisit this tomorrow at noon? And that helped us so much. It seemed small, but it was being a significant, it was creating some significant stress in our marriage. It was godly counsel. Can I give you a challenge? It's actively pursue godly counsel. And you will not find counsel for every area of your life in one person. Like, like I have people that I go to for counsel in my marriage. I have some that I look to for counsel in parenting, for counsel in my finances, for counsel in my leadership. Different people can serve different functions. You can have many godly counsel. Secondly is godly coaches. Are all three of these 
the letter C? You bet they are. First Corinthians 4.15, Paul said, if you've had 10,000 guardians, or one train that says teachers, you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I became your father. He said, I become your, your, your spiritual father, or your mentor, or your coach. You can't have like, a, like 50 fathers or mentors. It's, usually it's a handful of people, because here's the difference between a coach and a counsel is a coach or a mentor is somebody who knows you well. Like they know, they know your life. So a few men who serve in this role for me are, are overseers as a church. I had a lengthy conversation with one uh, a little over a week ago. And these are people who they know you, they know your wife. In my case, they know Christina, they know my family, they know this church. And that you can reach out to for for coaching, for mentorship, for leadership in your life. Here at the church, we have structures where there's community group leaders. There's ministry leaders who can serve in this role for you. That's why it's so important to get involved in community, to meet some people who can serve this function for you, to say, hey, can you, can you help me? Give me some, some guidance. Here's what I found, is that mentors can help save you from making poor decisions in your life. That you can learn from their wisdom. Here's the last final relationship is you need godly comrades, i.e. friends. Proverbs 27.6, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Here's the translation. It is better to have someone who's honest with you than someone who just always tells you how great you are. Um, here's here's the application. You need to have someone in your life who loves you enough. They love you enough to be honest with you. One of my my best friends, he's like a brother to me. He's a pastor at another church, and we spoke this week about 90 minutes. And um, we we have a very close relationship. And usually I'll kind of, I was sharing with him about different things I was walking through. And there was a moment even this week where he was like, He'll, he'll stop the conversation. He'll say, can I shoot it to you straight? Or can I be brutally honest with you? And it's, here's what I found. It's always something I really don't like to hear, but I need to hear. You need to have somebody. When's the last time you allowed someone to tell you what you don't want to hear, but you needed to hear? Watch this. And then you follow what they told you to do. I'm telling you, listen. The Bible says to live in isolation or to live without these kind of relationships is dangerous in Proverbs 18. Have some people around you who can counsel you, who can coach you, who can be a comrade, a friend to you. So Nehemiah had these people, and in 52 days, 52 days, they rebuilt these walls. It was a miracle. It happened much faster than they were expecting. Number one, it was a miracle that even happened. Number two, how quickly it happened. It happened because he had people around. It did it together. And Nehemiah and the Jews in exile are actually a depiction, a type and shadow of the church. Ephesians 4, here's what Paul says. He, referring to Christ, makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Paul says 
that the church grows and becomes full of love and is healthy and, and people come to faith in Christ and, and, and cities are cared for and the vulnerable are cared for and kids, kids get a foundation in Christ and people are discipled. Not when a pastor just preaches well or a worship leader sings well or a kid's teacher teaches well, but when every part of the body does its role in the body. That when every part is functioning, he says. My, uh, my son's actually on the front row right now. He's, uh, he plays soccer, and I love watching him play soccer. He's a great soccer player. And he's, he's actually he's a forward. He's great at, at scoring goals. He's got a great team. Uh, his team is really good. And uh, he, we were having a conversation a couple weeks ago about how the different players on his team. He's got a, a, a midfielder on his team who's great at dribbling the ball and finding the open person. He's got a, a center back on the, who's kind of near the goalie, if you don't know soccer. Um, I didn't know until this year. Um, <laughs> I think I know something really well. Um, what I read on Google, no. Um, but, like, he doesn't let like, the ball get by him. Like, even yesterday the game, like, every ball, he was stopping the ball. And then he has a goalie who's, who's great. He's like a human vacuum. He just... It's great. It's phenomenal watching them. But their team has done so well because every part, every player on the team plays their role really well. And I thought, this is the church. Hey, if you've been blessed by Catalyst Church, it's because, yes, our amazing worship team using their gift of music, but also our amazing production team who uses their gifts and technology and craftsmanship and because of our amazing setup team who at 6.30 this morning when some of you were still getting that extra hour of sleep, come on somebody, they were here setting up church for us and our amazing greeting team who every morning, even when you're walking in and you need that third cup of coffee, come on, they say good morning, so good to see you and the kids team right now who are blessing our kids in our classrooms it's, 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 and our community group leaders who use their gifts of hospitality hospitality and teaching who help to help people grow in their next steps in faith in Christ. It's when every part does its part. Have we, this is, for, I'm going to speak to some of you right now. You call this church home, but you've not yet gotten involved at that level. You're not serving on our team. Let me say this. Are we making an impact even with you not involved? The church is. But are we fulfilling our full potential without you? We are not. Not. Because when every, the Bible says when every part of the body does its part. There's more people in our community for us to reach with the good news of Jesus. There, there's more those who are, who, are, who are disadvantaged. We can make a difference in their life in our community if you got involved. There are more kids that could be raised in the ways of Christ if you got involved. That's what I want to encourage you. If you have not yet, come to Next Steps every Sunday after 1130 service, about 1 o'clock. Attend. Discover your unique spiritual gifts. Get involved in serving, being a part of the body. Let me say this for the Believe Initiative. You wonder why, as your pastor, I'm my biggest prayer is for a hundred percent engagement. Number one, because I know this: if you learn to hear from God and do what He says, that is a a muscle that will bless you your entire life. But number two is this: Have we made an impact so far without you? If you've not given to the mission of the church, we have. Are we fulfilling our full potential without you? We we never will. It's when every part of the body 
does its part. That's all we're asking. Ask God. Hear from heaven. Do what he says. Next week, make a faith commitment. We're believing that we, just as Nehemiah and the Jewish people saw God move miraculously, we are believing for miracles in our church and in your life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray, church.